Good morning, Redeemer. It really is good to be with you guys. I know that um, you don't know me from Adam, but uh, we know and love this church from a distance. We have been dear friends with the Sanders. They are some of our most favorite people. We have known them for years and years. We have vacationed with them for the past 12 or 13 years. Uh, Luke Sanders and Emma McKinney were born just a few days apart in the same hospital in St. Louis. I could go on and on. I have some fun stories about them if you're interested. Um, but all that to say, it, it's really, really good um, to be with you guys. Thanks to the session for having me, inviting someone you don't know, taking a chance like that. I, I appreciate that. Um, let me start with this. So, uh, Henry Nowen wrote a book on prayer called With Open Hands. So just imagine that picture, praying with open hands. And the very first chapter is a chap- chapter entitled Prayer and Silence. Prayer and Silence. And at the end, instead of having you know these long, drawn-out discussion questions, he simply asks, why are you afraid of silence? Why are you afraid of silence? That was one minute and 1.52 seconds of some of the most awkward silence and terrifying silence I've ever experienced. That actually was more terrifying than when I did it in the first service. Where'd your heart go? What was your distraction? Why couldn't you just sit? Let me read. From Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? 
Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. One thing is necessary, and it will not be taken away from her. Let me pray, then we'll dive in. Lord Jesus, thank you for these words to us. We pray for your presence here with us this morning. Please challenge us where we need to be challenged. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. And probably more than anything else, Lord, give us a glimpse of what it might look like for us to learn how to take our troubled and our anxious hearts, which are many, to bring those to you and to simply sit at your feet. Lord, help us to do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Just uh, a few months ago, my family and I were in, were in Panama, a Spanish-speaking country. And I, um, I took three years of Spanish in high school, so of course I knew exactly how to communicate. <laughs> but because it's, it's been a few years since high school, seven, eight, um, I, was, I was nervous. And um, I wanted to make sure I could, could communicate. And so whenever I typically get nervous, I, I, uh, I typically try to, to overcompensate that, that feeling of insecurity. And so there's that aspect, aspect of it, but it's also because I'm American, and so I figure if I'm just louder, then surely they'll understand what I'm saying, right? So, you know, hey, do you know, know where the bathroom is? We were there for a couple weeks, finally got to, um, brought my volume down a little bit, and what I started to do, and it was really helpful, is that, in that instead of speaking as loudly as I could to try to get this person to hear what I was saying, I started to just be quiet and pay attention to what they were saying. And over time, slowly but surely, I actually began to, my three years of high school Spanish was slowly but surely starting to come back. And I could, I could actually hear what they were saying to me. The distractions were gone, the insecurity was gone, the anxiety of being in a foreign country was gone. And I could just simply Listen. My question for us is what would it look like for us to simply be quiet and to learn how to just listen to Jesus? To put away the distractions, it says in verse 40. But Martha was distracted with what? With much 
serving? What would it look like for us not to be distracted by busyness? By everything that's going on out there? What would it look like for us, the the church, individuals, families? What would it look look like for us to just simply sit at our Savior's feet? Now there are obviously three characters within our story. There's Martha and Mary. These are probably uh, the sisters of Lazarus that we learn about in John 11. They are on different ends of the spectrum. And maybe sometimes you find yourself being super busy and super distracted, and maybe sometimes you are just able to sit and just be. And so I wanna, what I want to do is, is try to focus on, on both of them. And I want you to think about kind of where you find yourself in this particular story that Luke gives us. Now just to give it a little bit of a context, this is right after uh, Jesus has done the parable of the sermon. It's right before the Lord's Prayer. Jesus has gone on to Mary and Martha's village, Probably he and his disciples, they've been welcomed into Martha's home. And, and remember, this is first century ancient Near East. This isn't, you know, they just can't go pick up dinner and bring it back. To, to serve people anything, it, it took work. A lot of it. And so here's Martha doing all the serving and maybe the cutting and the slicing and the preparing and all these things. And she looks over. In the middle of all this, she looks over and sees her sister just sitting there. Now, forgive me if this is offensive, but Martha's probably the oldest child. Mary's the younger. So Martha's the doer, the one wants to take care of everything. And so she sees it. And there's, I mean, you can hear it in her voice. Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to Jesus, right? So you can imagine, like, now she's, like, she's had it with her sister. And if we know anything about sitting at a rabbi's feet, that means that Jesus was probably sitting and teaching. Martha, or Mary, is sitting there at his feet. Martha goes up to Jesus, interrupts what he's doing, and then says this, Lord, do you not care? Do you not care that my sister is not helping me? She's left me to do this all alone. Tell her to help me. How do you know if you are not doing a good job at sitting at the feet of Jesus? Number one, you tell others what you think they should be doing. Right? You tell others how they need to think about things. You tell others what's wrong with them. Number two, how do you know if you're not sitting at the feet of Jesus? <laughs> you tell Jesus what to do. Like, I, I love this. Like, Mary walks up, Martha, sorry, walks up to Jesus, walks right up to him. Tell my sister what she needs to be doing. Tell those people what their political ideals should be. Tell those people what their sexuality should be like. Tell those people, fill in the blank, if that is the way that you tend to operate towards other people, there's a good chance that you're not sitting 
and listening to, the, to Jesus. But then the final kicker is this, the question. Lord, do you not care? As far as I know, at least in the English translation, there's one other time when that question is asked of Jesus. And it's in Mark 4, when the disciples are in the boat and they feel like they're drowning, waves are coming into the boat, and they wake Jesus up, and the first thing out of their mouth is not, hey, can you help us out here? The first thing out of their mouth is, Lord, do you not care that we are perishing? I'll get to this more in a second, but I just want to point out that that's a valid question. The Bible does not tell us to not struggle, to not doubt, to not even question. If you read through the Psalms, there's several Psalms where the psalmist is talking to the creator of all things. And every once in a while, there's, there's this phrase that pops up, and the phrase is this, wake up! Wake up. We, we tend to think that we, we can't talk to Jesus like that. No, we can. And how does he respond, right? I mean, think about this for a second. Jesus, do you not care? Do you not care that I'm left here to serve by myself? Jesus, do you not care that there's been a world pandemic in the past year and a half? Jesus, do you not care that I've lost my job? Jesus, do you not care that I've lost someone close to me? Jesus, do you not care about my fears and my troubles and my anxieties. And look how Jesus responds. Jesus simply says this, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Think about what he doesn't say. Martha, don't you dare ask me a question like that. Martha, you need to get your act together. Mary's doing the really important thing over here. You, you just, you go back to serving. Mary, or Martha, you know, you shouldn't be struggling. You shouldn't be struggling. You, you need to get over it. No, none of that. It, what does Jesus do? It, it, it's almost this. It's, Martha, th this is not about you serving. Let, 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 me, let me dig in a little bit. You know how Jesus does this sometimes? Kind of like removes the layers, really kind of gets at the heart of things. Martha, th this isn't about Mary serving. Th this is about the depths of your heart. This is about you feeling troubled. This is about you feeling anxious. This is about you This is about you being distracted because being distracted is so much easier than actually sitting with your troubled hearts and your anxiety. Who in the world wants to sit and feel troubled 
and anxious. But here's the thing. When we don't take the time to do that, when we don't take the time to actually acknowledge where we really are, and look, I don't even know if we, I don't even think we know the full repercussions of this past year. I don't think it's fully hit us yet. At the very least, we're all on edge. We're all troubled. We're all anxious. And because we feel that, because we hate to feel it, we would rather just be distracted. Again, verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving because that's easier. It's easier than to feel the fear and the grief and the loss than it is to just simply bring those things to the feet of Jesus. It is hard to sit and be quiet when Jesus knows our anxious and our troubled hearts and our tendency, you do this, I do this, whenever I sit and I'm just silent, it is so difficult to hear the voice of Jesus because it is so, the first things that I hear are the accusations. Ten years ago, when we were living in Salt Lake City, I tried to plant a, 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 tried to plant a Presbyterian church in downtown Salt Lake City. I did not smoke, drink, or cuss until I tried to start a downtown Presbyterian church in Salt Lake City. And ten years ago, we had to close its doors. The money ran out. There were no people, hardly. And all I heard for several years was, you're a failure. You think, you, you think you're a pastor? You think you, you think you were a church planner? You hear those voices, right? You're failing as a parent. You looked at pornography again? Come on. You can't find work? You hear those voices. That is not the voice of Jesus. If you look back in Matthew, Jesus says this. He says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Okay, so here's, here's Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. Learning. So Jesus says, learn from me. Why? Because I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. There's a great book that's come out recently by a guy named Dane Ortland. He wrote a book called Gentle and Lowly. Something like how Jesus deals with sinners and sufferers. And I think our tendency is when we're struggled, when we feel the, the troubledness, when we feel the anxiety, and we try to sit and we just be quiet, we hear those voices. And we think they're Jesus, but they're not, because Jesus doesn't talk to you like that. When Jesus teaches you, when you learn from Him, he is gentle and lowly. That means he's gentle and he's humble. That means he's patient with you. That means he's gracious with you. That means he does not scold you. That means he does not accuse you. That means when you're struggling with whatever that is, depression, addiction, finances, the whole bit, 
He does not accuse you. He comes to you with gentleness and lowliness. And what's beautiful about this passage in that book is that Dane points out it's one of the few times in scriptures where we see into the heart of Jesus. And what is in his heart for his people? Gentleness and lowliness. Is Jesus harsh sometimes? Yes. Does he let people have it sometimes? Yes. But who are those people? It is the people who will not admit that they are troubled and anxious and fearful and insecure. It is the people who think they have their lives all together. Those are the people that Jesus is most harsh with. And so if you come to him in your sinfulness, in your weakness, with your anxiety, with your fear, Jesus does not turn away from you. I cannot help but wonder if sometimes one of the reasons why we are so critical sometimes and so harsh with others and with ourselves and with our children and with our neighbors and with our friends and with our workers, maybe because they don't believe the same thing that we do. Maybe they're across the aisle politically. I don't know. But maybe one of the reasons we are so harsh with them is because we're not convinced in the depths of our being that Jesus is not harsh with us. You know this. I know this. It is so much easier to look out there and say everything that's wrong with them, that's easier. We can keep it at arm's distance. One of my favorite theologians, Kendrick Lamar, says this. He says, some of you know Kendrick Lamar. That's awesome. He says, I used to think that it was me against the world. But now I know it's me against me. The greatest issue is not what's out there. That's not the problem. There's problems, yes, I'm not denying that. But it's not the biggest problem. The biggest problem is here. And that's what Jesus wants. That you, that anxious you, that troubled you, that depressed you, that fearful you. That is the one thing that Jesus wants you to bring to Him. Because when you bring that to Him, you get, verse 42, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. The good portion. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 73. Whom am I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This is the whole biblical theme from beginning to end. It wasn't following Jesus, believing in God, Yahweh. It, it was not about information. It was not about doing the right thing. It was about presence. What made the Garden of Eden, Eden? The presence of God. What makes the new heavens and the new earth, the new heavens and the new earth? The presence of God. And what Mary is experiencing in that moment is that very thing. It's interesting to me that when it says that, that Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet and listened to his teaching, that we don't know what it was. We don't know what Jesus was saying. Maybe because that's not the most important thing. 
the most important thing, the necessary thing, and it's what Mary has chosen, it will not be taken from her. Everything else we have, everything will be taken. Our health, our finances, relationships, church staff, our old way of living, all of that at some point will come to an end. But not Jesus. And if we can learn to believe that and to just simply sit and trust and be with Him, and by that I mean literal taking time out of your day to just sit and to just be. Open your Bible if you need to. Open it to Matthew 11. Open it to Psalm 23. Just sit it in your lap. Hold out your hands. Say, Jesus, I I just need to hear from you. I just need to be with you more than anything else. Let me just be with you. Now, as an aside, I just I want to say this because, and I said this in the 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock service, I, I know there's a lot of young parents out there, and you have young children. And to think about taking time to sit and be quiet <laughs> sounds like the most ridiculous thing on the planet. And I want to be sensitive to that. The last thing I want to add, both either to young parents or to any of you, is one more thing, right? We, got it, we have enough. We got, it, we got enough going on. But I will ask you just to consider replacing. Replacing. What is one thing you could replace and sit at the feet of our Jesus? Remember, you are not sitting at the feet of someone who's going to uh, accuse you or be impatient with you. You are sitting at the nail-scarred, resurrected, glorious, patient, Kind, generous, good feet of your Savior. What distraction will you give up? And not out of duty, I mean, look, my iPhone's sitting right here. I get it, I get distractions. It's so much easier to just... What distraction will you give up? What will it take? What will it take for us to just simply to learn how to sit and just be? And why is that important? Because we're all doers. And we all find our identity in what we do. That's the first question we ask, right? Hey, what do you do? Jen said that I pastor pastors and shepherd other folks out in Salt Lake City. That's just a fancy way of saying I'm unemployed. (laughs) And so it's taken a while for when people to ask me, what do you do? Do you pastor a church out in Salt Lake? Uh. And my response, because I'm so insecure and so like, uh, my, my response is, oh, no, 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 I don't pastor one church. I'm super spiritual. I pastor all sorts of churches like that because I can't just be comfortable with who I am, the beloved of the king of the universe. 
And so to give up, what are we going to do to, to, to just sit and just be? It forces us to stop. It forces us to not do anything and to bask in the love of Jesus. And you're not doing the first thing. You're just sitting there. What would it like? What would it be like to just experience the love of Christ just pour over you and you're not doing anything? Oh. I'll end with this and this idea of sitting and being quiet. Excuse me one second. back to Panama, we were scheduled, we were on a small little island, <clears throat> and uh, one small little airport, and we were scheduled to fly out um, on a Sunday, Saturday, Sunday afternoon. We were supposed to fly from a small airport to Panama City, to Atlanta, Atlanta to Salt Lake. And when our taxi driver pulled up to the airport, there was nobody there. And by nobody there, I mean nobody there. The gate is locked. We couldn't even get to the parking lot. And our taxi driver turns to me. I'm sitting at the front, and he's like, you sure you have a flight today? Now, we were in an uncomfortable position, to say the least. My wife and three of my four kids were with me, and so now I'm feeling like, how am I going to get them to Panama City, which is 10 hours away, to catch our flight to get back home? We're on an island, so a rental car didn't really help. We ended up, trying to make a long story short here, we ended up... Uh, we, we knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy. And the second guy put us on a, a boat, a taxi boat, that held uh, 12 people. Uh, so, of course, there were 18 people on it. And that, the job of that boat was to take us half an hour across the bay to the mainland to pay... The third guy to drive my family across Panama, literally, like I'm not embellishing this in any way, shape, or form, a 10-hour drive, all the buses had already left, we had to get to Panama City by 2 o'clock the next afternoon, and so we pulled out in this taxi bus with someone that doesn't speak English, a complete stranger, who was then going to drive us across the country through the middle of the night. We left this little town at 7.30 at night. We pulled up to our hotel at 4.30 in the morning. Or maybe 3.30, I can't remember. And the whole way, all I could do was just sit there. What was I going to do? This guy couldn't understand me anyway. I had no idea where he was taking me or my family. All I could do was just sit there and trust that that dude was going to get 
me and the four of us exactly where we needed to be. And I couldn't force it. I couldn't work harder. The only thing that was necessary was to get to Panama City. And that's exactly where he got us. What if the one thing for us, the one thing that was necessary was to sit at Jesus' feet? That it wasn't performance, it wasn't achievement, it wasn't let's get back to the way things were before the pandemic. What if the one thing was to just sit, to sit at your Savior's feet and just listen to Him? At the end of Henry Nouwen's chapter, he prays this prayer. I'll end with this prayer. Dear God, speak gently in my silence. When the loud outer noises of my surroundings and the loud inner noises of my fears keep pulling me away from you, help me to trust that you are still there, even when I am unable to hear you. Give me ears to listen to your small voice, small, soft voice saying, Come to me, you who are overburdened, and I will give you rest. For I am gentle and humble in heart. Lord Jesus, let that loving voice be our guide. Amen.